You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. The changing role of CT imaging in AIDS patients. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. Joining me today is Dr. Michael Sadler, Section Chief of Body CT Imaging at St. Vincent's Hospital and Associate Professor of Clinical Radiology at New York Medical College. Dr. Sadler has extensive experience working with imaging of AIDS patients and has written and lectured extensively on the subject. Welcome, Dr. Sadler. Hi, Larry. Thank you very much for having me. Dr. Sadler, what really has changed with uh, CAT scanning and AIDS patients? Well, you know, a lot since I um, started doing this in the, in the really the early and mid-90s. I happened to have sort of fallen into AIDS imaging based on where I was practicing. Um, where I was a fellow, we saw a number of patients in the mid-90s um, with varying manifestations of HIV and full-blown AIDS and came to St. Vincent's Hospital back in 1997, where I've been now for 10 years, and really have been able to see, based on the patient population that comes to St. Vincent's um, in Greenwich Village and Lower Manhattan, what, what kind of trends there have been in basically the imaging findings that we can make on CT and what we can then suggest in term, to the clinicians in terms of, of treatment. Take us through the early years. What were you seeing early on in the early 90s? In the early 90s, when we first started doing this, patients were coming in, uh, really the antiretroviral meds, AZT, DDI, were coming along in their infancy, but coming along. The drugs weren't available to everybody. Some were getting them, some weren't, based on where they were, based on you know, who they were seeing. And we were seeing patients with all kinds of different opportunistic infections. Frankly, things that you and your listeners and me might not have heard about since we were doing pathology or infectious disease in medical school. Different diseases such, and we'll get into them later, but CMV of the bowel or cryptosporidium of the hepatobiliary system were rampant. And basically what was happening was they were having characteristic findings on the CT that were not explained until people actually went in and got tissue. And then we realized this is very common. Lots of these patients have them, have these kinds of findings. So as we went into the, to the late 90s, turn of the century, and the new HART medications came out, basically better antiretrovirals were coming out, we were starting to see less and less and less of these opportunistic infections. Um, in fact, they were becoming very widespread and quite available. Programs that were set up in the inner cities worked quite well. Still have room for improvement, I'm sure, but worked quite well. And now we're seeing less and less to the point where a lot of the patients are, are coming to us, the vast majority now are coming really with little or no radiological findings on, on screening imaging. Frankly, oftentimes when they come into the emergency room with pains of varying types, what we're finding on CT are things that we would find in the immunocompetent patients. That must be very hard for you to uh, have been there during the heyday, and now it's just garden variety appendicitis. Well, you know, it, it actually it's very, very interesting, and it, it's been very rewarding for me in my career in that I'm able to, to go back on the experience that I've had and be able to lecture or write on some of the things that we did see and some of the things that we, we see now. 
pretty much back then there were specific and non-specific findings, Larry, that we could we would make and that we would be able to work with. And I'll get some of the non-specifics, and they're still non-specific today. Hepatosplenomegaly, very common. Large lymph nodes, basically adenopathy in multiple compartments. A number of the different immunocompromised patients had that back in the day. Less have it now. And it was very nonspecific. We weren't really sure, well, did these patients have TB? Or is this just a direct result of the HIV and their body trying to form a reaction to it? Have they developed a secondary lymphoma, which is quite common in the immunocompromised or the HIV population? So that really didn't tell us much about what might be going on. But the things that were much more specific that we were able to really see, in the the appropriate setting, of course, patients with, with infiltrates in the lungs that were in a characteristic distribution could conceivably have PCP, and we were able to help pinpoint that or maybe target bronchoscopy if necessary. Metastases from Kaposi sarcoma, very characteristic flame-shaped infiltrates radiating from the hyla that were very, very common um, in the AIDS patients. And now we see it, we see it rarely, but we do still see it um, in the patients with metastatic KS or, or basically undiagnosed KS quite often. They don't even realize they had it, and they come in with mets to the lungs. Other things that we tend to see, bowel lesions, which um, basically starting at the top with the esophagus, Candidate esophagitis, we can see quite well on CT um, in the patients who had it back in the 90s, very thickened esophagus that you could see. Or going into the small bowel, a number of different types of lesions that they would get, segmental or even focal enteritis secondary to cryptosporidium or CMV um, that we're seeing lots of. Now we don't see it that often. You are listening to ReachMD XM 233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill, and I am with Dr. Michael Sadler, Section Chief of Body CT Imaging at St. Vincent's Hospital and Professor of Clinical Radiology at New York Medical College. Dr. Sadler, when I was in medical school, the term tissue is the issue was very important. We always had to biopsy stuff. It sounds now that you are able to keep patients from having to go through unnecessary biopsies. Well, we try and we hope that we can, we can do that. And there are certain instances, I will tell you, that biopsy still is, is very necessary. The HIV patients that come in with really no recent or known opportunistic infections, which come, when come in with a pneumonia that doesn't clear on antibiotics, those are ones who will, that typically will go to bronchoscopy to make sure that it's not a malignancy forming or an opportunistic infection of some kind. So you need tissue there. They typically will do endobronchial washings. Or liver lesions. Liver lesions are very common in, the whole, in all population. Hemangiomas, benign vascular tumors in the liver are quite common. Adenomas in young females, patients who are getting, taking steroids or birth control pills, can tend to get adenomas. So can the HIV population, but the question comes up in the, in the HIV patients, if for, what, uh, for other reasons there is concern and they have a liver lesion, could it be something infectious, could it be an abscess forming, or could it be a tumor? These patients also, if imaging can't answer the question, may go to, uh, may go to another test or to, 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 for tissue diagnosis. 
Dr. Sadler, I know that CT imaging is being used elsewhere in the world besides in the medical community. Are you familiar with any other uses that are of interest? Well, sure. You know, most people don't realize, or they might, when they're going through uh, TSA, when they're going through security at the airport, that they may have their luggage going through a small CT scanner, or they themselves may be walking through a variant of a CT scanner. In fact, there was uh, not long ago a, sto- a study was coming out that with 3D reconstruction, if done properly, people could be looked upon with their clothes off, quote-unquote. So there's a use right there, and that, that is gonna be, that's going to be up for some debate as to how to use that. Basically, what, what would be done there is, by using a 3D reconstruction, one can look and see if somebody has some objects or bags or anything sort of underneath their clothes, in their, sh- you know, in their socks, below their shoes, or something like that. So that's one non-medical role, but a very important potential role for helical CT. And another very interesting application, which I think we're going to see more and more of, is archaeological usage. Archaeologists are coming out with mummies coming in large tombs, and basically no one really knows when they open these tombs what kind of an effect the oxygen in the atmosphere is going to have on the mummy, which has been preserved for years and years and not exposed to the air. What better way to look at them, then, through cross-sectional imaging to get a look inside and see what's going on in there without having to actually violate the milieu that the mummy is in. So we've seen some very striking pictures, actually, of the process and what the mummy looks like. So I think that's kind of exciting, and I think you'll see more of that for archaeology, archaeological use. So back to mummies from mummies. Let's say we have a mummy with a HIV infection and, let's say, a CMV infection of her biliary tract and or her liver or her colon. Is CT actually helping in um, guiding response to therapies? What we have been finding now, if you take a patient who has got, say, documented CMV of the intestine or the, or the biliary system, and gancyclovir or whatever the current medication they're, they're giving them, say the bowel wall is thick, and that's how we've made the diagnosis in the first place, and the patient may or may not have then gone for a stool assay or a lower endoscopy in tissue. We can image them a week later, two weeks later, sometimes even a couple of days later, actually, and see striking improvement in the thickness of the bowel wall, the presence or absence of adjacent fat stranding, suggesting lymphatic obstruction, or the presence or regression of local lymph nodes. And by the same token, we can also look into patients who have AIDS-related cholangiopathy, often caused by CMV, and we'll see the gallbladder may be very dilated or thick-walled, the biliary radicals may be quite prominent, and we can look and see if they'll come down. Quite often, they, don't, they, stay, they stay quite prominent, though. Even in the treated disease in the biliary system, I have found that that does oftentimes not go back to normal. So that can be a little trickier in assessing if there's recurrent disease there. Dr. Sadler, can you comment a little bit on monitoring of granulomatous diseases, such as uh, TB or MAI? MAI patients were quite common back in the 90s. Um, patients were getting it, besides getting it in the lungs, we were seeing MAI in the liver, in the spleen, and in the intestines quite commonly back then. In fact, there would be a triad that was quite common of thickened small bowel, 
low-density lymph nodes and uh, hepatosplenomegaly that in that conjunction quite often was very suggestive of MAI. Those typically were in the patients with a very low CD4 count. Now what we're finding um, in the patients who have a borderline or more or less normal CD4 count that they're getting MTB, just good old mycobacterium tuberculosis infection, which can also, also involve the bowel, cause low-density lymph nodes in the retroperitoneum or mesentery, and an element of hepatosplenomegaly, typically not quite as bad as, as in the MAI patients. So we are seeing quite a bit of more of a risk, actually more commonly now getting more MTB than MAI in the AIDS patients. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Michael Sadler, who has joined us today to talk about multi-detector CT scanning in the AIDS patient population. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.